0: It's Tracy back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups with Super Producer Alex.
1: That's me. I'm here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be aboard.
0: (laughs) Always fun to have you because I just like to give you a hard time. And the the thing that I think has been most striking about you lately is that you seem to have uh, developed an obsession with the TV show Dallas from the 80s or... At least you're telling me about it a lot and asking me a lot of trivia questions.
1: What is the name of the ranch that the Ewings lived at?
0: Oh, my gosh. That is like the easiest, most slam dunk question ever. And it is South Fork Ranch. And everybody in Dallas knows that. And my parents moved to the next street over.
1: And it's basically like Dolly World right now, isn't it?
0: Dollywood? No, it's it's like an event. I mean, they talk about people that have made the most of that. It's an event center, and they have like equestrian shows and conferences, and they have fireworks on Fourth of July and New Year's. And- See,
1: that just blows my mind. You know when, when what years Dallas was running on the TV? What what years it was actually? A show? Um, I
0: think. Well, I was in elementary school, and and who shot Jr. Was like, and I want to say 84, 85 So this is.
1: Yeah, right around there. I think it was actually 1980. But, you know, late 70s into the early 80s, that was the Dallas era. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's a quality 40 years ago
0: yeah Just and they're still talking me. about it i tell you you go over there it's awesome you can take a tour there's a, a boutique with really cool clothes <laughs> and like, like really nice clothes like good southern lady clothes. well that
1: was a big part of the show wasn't it for victoria principal like what's she gonna wear this well, week? or maybe yeah, it was linda gray or I something tell you, like that if,
0: if you want to be dazzled yourself you can go down to that boutique there at uh, south Park <laughs> ranch and get yourself some some rhinestones. Um but what was
1: uh, what was it called before it was South Fork?
0: It was always South Fork. They they flew a helicopter around.
1: Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> it, it was a real Texas residence called Duncan Acres, owned by jo- Joe R. Duncan or J. R. Duncan. Uh, and when the show became popular, tourists from all over the world visited the house night and day. Yeah. Duncan family was forced to sell the house, and now it's a museum that are devoted to the show.
0: It is, but yeah. it, but oh, I didn't know that. So, but you know how they found it is they flew a helicopter north of Dallas, and they want and they found something cool looking. And the, and the house is there. It's it's big white house with pillars and a mm-hmm. long driveway into it. But I did not and know And that's how
1: place. you folks in Texas say the word pillow
0: no pillars like big See, pillars outside that's what you got no, i
1: know hey, we no, have them on all of our beds
0: no stop it <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah uh and the big You'll question fluff was fluff up
1: your pillars
0: uh, <laughs> stop it everybody everybody was all about who shot jr cuz there was only 3 tv channels back then
1: and who did shoot jr i don't
0: even know i don't even know do you know
1: i Cause, don't cause they, off the top i think
0: they did a cliffhanger we had to wait all summer to find yeah out who and, was and i remember JR. it was
1: the big deal was everybody was thinking it had to be his wife but that was too obvious plus well, it, was, it had to be an intruder because he was in an office or something like that at night and he was in a hallway when he got shot he was coming through a doorway into a hall um and it was at night and we all wanted to think it was his wife because he was such a jackass to his wife oh well, yeah um but i think it was somebody else i just don't remember
0: I don't either. So someone's gonna have to write in and tell us uh, who shot Jr. because we don't know. And <laughs> and you know, being uh, from Dallas and a good Texan uh, like I am, uh, Colorado transplant, I should I should know this. I really should.
1: Really uh, but
0: should. Uh, but you know you know what I'm obsessed with uh, now is this show Yellowstone.
1: I have just googled the Jr. situation. Would you oh. like the answer, or shall we?
0: Keep yeah, it who shot Jr.?
1: It was Jr.'s scheming sister-in-law and mistress who shot him in a fit of anger. Her name was Kristen Shepard. Oh. Um, and in parentheses, Mary Crosby. So I don't know which one of those is the name on the show. Uh, if it was Mary Crosby or Crispin Shepherd oh. One of those is an actress name. And one is I don't another.
0: know. He sounds like a cheating, cheating kind of guy. He probably deserved to get shot. Oh, yeah. He was
1: of- he was very upfront about his cheating. He would even say that as much to his wife, who was was that Victoria principles? Probably.
0: Wife? Yeah. 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 Yeah, but let's go back to Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that show. Uh, You know, it's about- But this is a show. Yeah, it's about- I I know nothing about this show. You you need to see it. It's on the Paramount Network, and um, it's got Kevin Costner, and it's all about this ranch in Montana, and all these different interests are competing to get the ranch, like airports, municipalities, ski resorts, the Indians, and it's about how all this comes into play. And But yeah, the Ewings are probably they're (laughs) going to be in in the next.
1: So we got to stop and back up just a second. We got Mm -hmm. a couple problems here. Fundamentally, I can't watch a show with Kevin Bacon in it.
0: It's not Kevin Bacon. It's Kevin Costner.
1: Oh, okay, that's better. I think you said Kevin Bacon. I
0: said Kevin Costner.
1: Okay, so nonetheless, I can't watch anything with Kevin Bacon because he was in that movie on the river with Meryl Streep. I don't
0: know where he's in.
1: He's a bad guy and an evil, and he was so freaking evil on that show i can't watch him in anything else because he's just too evil
0: i just think kevin bacon footloose kevin costner though however was in one of our favorite movies and he's in yellowstone he was in american flyers so yeah (laughs) uh, (laughs) best bike racing movie ever anyway Mm -hmm. uh so yellowstone they they're they have a way that they take care of stuff up in montana and it's not the gentle way they it's kind of like they have a playbook and, and if you don't go their way, you are getting uh, shot or blown up or maybe a snake tossed at you out of a cooler. There's a lot of ways they handle it, but um, you know who else has a playbook? Antifa. Uh, probably, but we're not going to talk about that. But you know what? You know what we are going to talk about. I just there?
1: think of I think of Montana as being a big oh. Antifa. Hideout.
0: Oh, maybe, but uh, probably
1: not. No. You know what Go other on.
0: show I tried to watch was that <coughs> Reno nine one one finding. So Kids. that is
1: the other thing that when you mentioned this was on the Paramount Plus show programming, <laughs> yeah. which is like a private streaming platform. Uh, so yeah, that that was the thing that jumped out at me is that. They have a special edition of Reno Nine One One, which that's been out of production for what a decade, a long time, yeah, a long time.
0: That that show, I think, I think they the thirty came minute back. time period is their sweet spot. The, that movie, may be the key. Movie, the movies yeah. aren't as it is. So, all of Reno Nine One One is so wrong on every <laughs> level <laughs> that it is hilarious.
1: <laughs> but now, so the topic of this one is the search for.
0: Q from QAnon.
1: That's right. QAnon. Well, yeah. is QAnon going to be on this cruise? Is, is the yeah, big guy going to be there? Go on Q. The
0: QAnon booze cruise.
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> Q's booze cruise. Anyway, <laughs> it, it is worth watching. We're not going to get into too much of that. But the playbook, the playbook is what's important here. They hmm. have one in Yellowstone, super violent. And uh, you know who else has a playbook is all of these um, uh, dating scammers out of Nigeria. <laughs> They have they have a playbook on how they are going to play people and stomp on their hearts to give them money. And you know what? It's it's not exactly government sponsored, but it, it they, they look the other way. And uh, I got to talk to Elizabeth Carter, who researches researches this stuff. And she's mm-hmm. out of England. She's a professor. And um She's actually a forensic linguist. So she talks all about like the exact language patterns that they use to suck people in Mm -hmm. and uh, get them to fall in love and take all your money. So yeah, fascinating playbook. Now, um, like I said, not the same playbook they have on Yellowstone, but uh, not that different when it comes down to it.
1: Okay. I got a problem with this because I'm Mm -hmm. a reasonably good looking, somewhat successful, fairly interesting American living in an American town and I can't get a decent date Meanwhile, these Nigerians are coming over and just saying just the right thing and women are falling in love and sending them money.
0: Well, you know, maybe What am I doing wrong? Maybe you should make a call and get uh get a playbook for yourself. And um, you know, you don't have to steal the money, but you could just get some love if it's working. Can we do both? Uh well, you you could you could try.
1: Yeah. Maybe I can just get paid for the for the love afterwards.
0: Uh, th- there's another word for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's chomping at the bit to pay me for that at this point.
0: <laughs> and on that note, we're going to cut to Elizabeth Carter, who's going to tell us all about the playbook. You ready?
1: I'm ready to go. Let's hit it.
0: Let's go. It's Tracy, and I am back with um, who? someone who I am sure is going to be one of my favorite guests here on Truth lies and cover-ups Elizabeth Carter coming all the way from England so far away from Boulder Colorado which is where I am thank you so much for coming on it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you today (laughs) now we got in touch because you we have a mutual friend Tony Sales I I think yeah because didn't you speak at his Uh, event
2: absolutely yes the we fight forward event yes I was one of the keynotes there
0: yeah. Yeah. So he does that virtual conference every year and man, talk about a guy who's turned his life from crime to good, um, and is really helping some people out. So, um, now you are, cause I didn't, I didn't get to hear your talk. And, um, and so I got in touch. I was like, Hey, come on my podcast. And you're like, trace, I'm doing some research. Let's talk when the research is done so here we are and so tell tell us a
2: little bit about yourself like what are you doing how did you get to where you got like all that good stuff yeah absolutely well i'm a criminologist and a forensic linguist so i'm interested in all points at which language and the law intersect i've done a whole load of research on different areas in in the criminal justice system and language for example looking at police interviews confessions, um, something close to your heart, lie detection, yeah. um, you know, deceptions. Um, and then I moved into the field of scams, fraud, because this is one area where you can see people lying to other people in a written form, mainly, or a transcribe, telephone calls and so on, and you can see the crime in action. And for me, as a forensic linguist especially, I'm very interested in the way in which language can be used to deceive and manipulate but overlaying that, how people can do that without raising those alarm bells for their targets. Um, So I I go very deep and detailed into the way in which language is is used using um, critical discourse analysis um, and basically just find out what what I can find. Critical discourse analysis, talk about that. I have never heard of that. Critical Discourse analysis or CDA um, is looking at language, the way that language is used different words, how words can mean different things, try and convince people to do things, like in in, in my field in particular, to convince people to do things that they don't particularly want to do. Um, The research I'm doing at the moment looks at coercion and how you can coerce somebody um, to be active participants in their own exploitation. Mm -hmm. You know, the victims here, for for fraud to be complete, the victim has to have a part in that. Now, this is really difficult because it lends itself to narratives around victim blaming, because Mm. how could you be so silly? Um, You must have, you know, you're part of it. You sent the money or you've gone along with it. So it is really unhelpful. Um, So what my research really hopes to do is to is to look at the way that forces use language. So not why victims have done what they've done, but how forces have done what they've done. And to see how they can use language and how and link that to grooming, coercive control, domestic violence and abuse to try and turn around those narratives, those negative narratives about victims being silly and to try and help to protect them, protect people from becoming victim of fraud, but also protect them after they've become victim as well. Give them those that the aftercare they really desperately need. Wow. Okay. So let's
0: talk about this a little bit. Like, what are you, what are you, how are you doing your research? What are you f-
2: well, for, where where are you, are you teaching? Is that what you're doing? Uh, so what, where, what university are you at? I'm at the University of Roehampton uh, in their criminology department, and I I teach criminology, um, te- I teach victims of crime, um, and also policing as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so part of my role is teaching, then also part of my role is research as well, and I like to use my teaching, um, use my research in teaching as well, so it's research informed to get students in as well. And so then they can become excited about this and then go ahead and do their own research. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so what, what I'm doing at the moment, um, now that the, the term is, is finishing, I'm heading straight back into, into the research cycle, um, looking at data. And I might be most well-known for looking at romance fraud. So okay. I look at different types of fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, so telephone fraud, investment fraud, um, even social media scams oh. The little quizzes that you give you, you click on that look completely benign, but actually doing something different as well. So basically, I'm not fussy. Whenever anyone tries to scam someone else, I'm right there trying to analyze it, trying to turn it on its head, to try and give people tools to be able to protect themselves from it. Wow. Okay. So what do you find? Like, well, I, ha, let me back up.
0: How 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 exactly are you doing this research?
2: Well, um, I can walk you through uh, what what my latest romance fraud research what I did is get hold of a load of data which is I mean it's a whole story in itself really very difficult there's a lot of misplaced really shame around being a victim of romance fraud Um, it's very pervasive crime where you're psychologically as well as financially damaged which is very Mm -hmm. very difficult Um, but luckily um, I I have been able to talk to victims and all of the victims that have sent me their data, I anonymise it completely. Um, they've all said they felt a sense of closure, uh, a sense of empowerment. Really, that their awful situation is being used to the, as part of this research, which will then help others to not be a victim of crime mm. and also, you know, to get one over on the on the uh, on the fraudsters. So what I do is I get I get a piece of data, and it might be um, back and forth between victim and, and fraudster on WhatsApp or on um, by email, uh, messenger, all these kind of things. And I have a look at it. Usually it's very long, you know, because yeah. these things have gone on for months or years. Um, you know, my, my latest, the latest one I've transcribed or gone through with a fine tooth comb is, is 80,000 80, words long, um, yeah. which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big old thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, tricky to condense into a journal article, which is his own own difficulties, but so rich in data. And so I have a look at it. I have a look at the moment where the first money goes. The first time that the Forster mentions money. I'm like, Mm. okay, how is this framed? And I think in isolation, no one would give money because someone has said this. I'm like, okay, so what precedes this? What comes before it? So I track it back. And it's usually something very benign a long time ago, a few weeks, maybe months prior to that. And Forsters do what I've termed, A setup and drip feed where they set up information that doesn't mention money but explains they can use it to then explain later they go back to it as fact and for the for the victim they've just been talking about it it's a getting to know you process and by the time they get to the i need your money it makes sense it's contextualized so really by the time you get to the ask for money um the work is done the grooming's done so for me, I look before they ask for money. I say, what, what is happening here? What's the um, the subtle positioning of the forster? How do they manage to manipulate the victim? Um, and they do they do little things that you would expect. That, you know, they could be reframed as romantic, for example, mm-hmm. uh, much mm-hmm. like much like domestic violence and abuse. You know, you can turn it turn it back on the victim. Oh, I'm just being romantic. Um, something like you know, in romance board, they rarely ever meet each other. It's all online. Don't Wait, see they, each other. they
0: rarely do what now sorry
2: they rarely meet each other or see each other it's all it's all online
0: well okay let's talk about that yeah, yeah. with the uh because i i met my husband online and that was we just had our 10-year anniversary of our first date now um video calls weren't so prevalent back then so uh, are they integrating video calls into like um uh, dating sites like like match.com and things like that or because I've always wondered why not like t- tell me what what is going on with the technology and the reasoning behind what they're doing right now
2: Yes, that the, there are there is the technology there and dating sites you know the online dating sector does, has moved towards this so you can you know see people and um you know verify your identity and so on however there's always a reason there's always an excuse from these fraudsters um, and they reframe it in a very coercive, manipulative way. So if the victim says, "Look, I really want to see you first. Can we just have a video call before you know we get even more serious?" and the forester will say something typically like, "Well, you know, you, you don't trust me. Like, have I done something wrong? Uh-huh. You know, um, you, you're trying to find proof that I'm real. Like, well, what kind of person are you? You know, I don't think I can trust you now because you're you're being like this. Only an untrustworthy person would be so suspicious." Mm-hmm. And you can see how the victim, especially if they've you know, developed a little bit of rapport already, might think that, no, they're being silly, they're being too cautious. Um, and there's other, there's other ways they can explain it away by saying, well, you know, my, um, the video camera's broken on my phone or I'm in a war-torn area or, you know, I'm a really important surgeon and I'm not allowed to use my phone. And then later on that will then be used as a reason why they need money. So mm-hmm. the camera on their phone's broken in a water-torn area, they need to be able to get in touch with the, you know, the rest of their group or someone.
0: Uh-huh. They need to have some
2: money to repair it. So you can see how it's all interwoven. And if you pull one thread, it all kind of comes tumbling down. But the victim is not in a position to pull that thread because they feel that they are at fault if they start questioning the relationship.
0: Wow. Okay. So then what
2: happens next, like in your research? Well, after that, when I've had a look at all of, Um, everything so I'll start I'll start from the the first ask for money and then I'll work my way back see how it's how it's linked together with all these little moments of grooming and I'll look at the wider literature as well so I look at literature in in um, psychology um wider criminology and more recently I've started looking at human rights literature as well when I'm looking at, at um when you when you compel someone to do things um and I've looked at the ways in which People are compelled to take part in, and this is on a massive scale, much more massive than this, you know, big atrocities, you know, Um, and how can right-minded people get pulled into going along with these things? And it's all about, um, it's almost like death death, um, by a thousand cuts. Yeah. yeah. It's it's little, little um, intrusions on people's self-esteem, self-worth, their ability to, to make decisions, moving people's. Um, reality their compass of reality so they think they're making good decisions but they're not and that they think because their reality has been distorted and human rights literature says a lot about this um, particularly about being you know one cog in a machine so you might be not the one that presses the button that commits this atrocity you might be somebody who helps to design the button but you don't really know what it is you're designing and a a victim Mm -hmm. in, in fraud is very much like this as well because they of course don't know that they are instrumental in their own exploitation and manipulation they believe they're doing the right thing all along and only at the very end when they realize and um, that they realize that they've been a part of this which is where all of this awful shame comes from um, which is something that I really try and attack I try and um, help people not to feel that that sense of shame by revealing that the, these these techniques the forces use wow okay Absolutely. so then
0: what um we talked about seeding people along. Now, and a lot of this comes out of uh, like Africa and, and I mean, it's everywhere, right? But I know there's kind of like almost to the level of like state sponsored uh, activity and like it they look the other way, right? And, and there's huge office buildings with these people. Do they have a, a playbook or a system or what is going on behind the scenes over there? Have you ever been to talk to any of these folks or what, what goes on? Cause it's, it's not a small operation. Like it's, it's more than full-time job for
2: hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, absolutely. There's, there's a it's, a, it's on a massive continuum mm-hmm. all the way from, you know, the, the, the person, the forster who's, you know, moved into the online arena because of the pandemic They'd usually, you know, commit burglary um, or, or doorstep crime, for example, and they move into the online arena you know, chancing their way through it, trying to defraud people all the way to the other side of the spectrum that you're talking about here, which is serious multinational organized crime, Mm -hmm. massive (laughs) organized crime groups where you do have things like playbooks. They have conferences. um, they, They swap stories. And as well as gaining money directly from their victims, they also gain an awful lot of money, maybe even more money from selling data about those victims. Who is vulnerable? What are their vulnerabilities? How do you get in touch with them? Are they ripe for a, a, a second go over? So if someone's been defrauded, someone else might, then another forester might come along and say, look, I'm from trading standards or the police or any other governing body that, that helps you know support victims of crime and get their money back. I'm here to help you get your money back. First of all, we just need one small payment and then oh. we'll get you back on voter recovery. Um, and the victim who is at that moment reeling from being defrauded mm-hmm. and doing anything to try and make it better with that sense of shame. And often there's a family around saying, you know, this is a fraud and they, they're they fighting against it and they realize and they can't tell their family. Someone offers them that opportunity to make it better again and they take it and then they've become defrauded again. So the, the data is really, really valuable because they, it's, it's, and it means that when you go into fraud people, these fraudsters, it's not a massive scattergun approach. You can be much more targeted and, and much more accurate and convincing.
0: Okay. So here's another question. A lot of times, because you know you can do image searches on Google and things like that, and, and a lot of people have... Um, Well, these scammers, they they use these model pictures and, and of these beautiful men and women. And, uh, and, and a couple of people I've had on the podcast, they're nice looking international people and their image gets used. Why is it that, and I know that there's legislation, at least in the States that says uh, websites really aren't responsible for things that people post on there, but why aren't more I mean, it would be easy to do an image search uh, as, as part of a sign up for, or as part of your upload process for any for any site. Why aren't these companies doing that? Why aren't they uh, trying
2: to stop what they know is going on on their site? Absolutely, and it's, and it's absolutely rife. It doesn't just happen on online dating sites. It can happen in you know, Scrabble games or, or so on, mm. but it's absolutely rife, and and online dating sites is the most obvious place for forces to go to be able to afford people um, along the lines of romance fraud. Mm-hmm. And it is a relatively, I think, simple way of protecting individuals. Unfortunately, at the moment, it seems as though the onus is on the victim to be able to do those, those searches. And it's almost my number one piece of advice, really, uh, for family and friends of someone you think might be being defrauded is to do that reverse image, search. to do, empower them to do it, so then they can find out that they've been a victim of, of crime. Um, it can be quite damaging to find out you're victim of crime, but if you find out yourself, it's much more persuasive and um, you're not pushing someone into doing it, they're finding out themselves, which is, I think, um, psychologically um, a, a much, more gentle way of being able to find out and also then start to take action from it but you're absolutely right this is something that dating sites should be doing as a standard across the board
0: yeah and they're just not and so you haven't heard of any reason why is it just that they don't want to get involved i mean in figuring out who uh,
2: people are is there liability there what's the what it's tricky have? it's really tricky uh, i'm not entirely sure but what i do think is that if they start putting mechanisms in place, there might be some suggestion that this that this, this site is completely safe. Oh. And then someone then does become defrauded, then they're in a bit of um, hot water legally. And there are loads of different things that they can do, but the list is kind of exhausted, exhaustive. But then also, um, you know, fraudsters might use, you know, a photo that's never been used before and get under the radar and someone might think that they're genuine because of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's, huh. it's okay
0: difficult. wow
2: okay craziest story you've or craziest case you've
0: an, analyzed or worked on the
2: craziest one i'm not i'm not sure really there have been some really long ones I've, I've worked on one where where there's been a victim who has unfortunately been a victim for over two years um and the force just keeps going back um like like what what happens what's the setup there yeah it's, it's really difficult the the victim believes that they're in a legitimate relationship so they really really do think that and there's always some reason why they can't meet and it always seems legitimate it always seems okay and then the giving of money it's not what you see in for prevention and awareness raising literature generally which is giving money to someone you don't know it's someone giving money to their significant other like you would as if you were married or in a long-term uh-huh. relationship uh-huh. Uh-huh. and um, and it's quite often not large sums of money so it's not, you know, $20,000 in one go you know it's a hundred dollars you know it's it's and it's and it's not necessarily frequent and quite often you find that there's more relationship than there is asking and giving of money so it seems almost like an aside rather than the main reason for the relationship because that that would you know set off all sorts of alarm bells mm-hmm. But because it is part of normally part of a a big network, the fraudsters have time on their hands because they've got plenty of other, you know, people on the line. They've got plenty of other people um, at the end of an email so they can carry on with this relationship over here for another couple of weeks while they're busy defrauding somebody else. So and even that, even the fact that there's a lot of relationship building going and, you know, this person really is falling in love with the the fraudster um, because there's no urgency there and it seems like a normal relationship, that also quietens any alarm bells too, and, and makes the victim feel as though they're silly if they stop questioning it.
0: Well, yeah. Now, how many, how many people do you think that these guys, or it could be ladies as well, are, are stringing along at once? I mean, it is hard to keep the story straight when, when you have two people going. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. how, how many are they really, um, <clears throat> really uh,
2: working with it at one time, do you think? Uh, well, it could it could be any number. Um, it is re- it's really interesting because when things go wrong, it's usually because there's a number of fraudsters and they've and they've swapped over, you know, night shift or a break or whatever, as as you will, and they haven't picked the the script up at the right point or they haven't. Realise that the person that they're affording is not religious at all, and they start talking about how God has ordained the relationship. And of course, that falls on that is really it falls flat on its face, really. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But this is really where you can, you know, lift the hood on on the interaction when it goes wrong. And you know, as a social scientist, when things go wrong, it's actually great because then we can see how things were meant to be, um, and it also shows the point at which the the victim realises. Because when there's this mismatch between what they're expecting and what happens, that's that's the clash almost that then kind of lifts, lifts the veil and it and it makes them realize, hey, wait, this this is this is not right. This is this is unusual. They're not kind of pulled along in this grooming. So it could be a, a number of people. And you know, they do, they do have playbooks. Um, but, but even if it's a number of people for the same victim and they're all just in the same room and whoever picks them up picks them up. Yeah. Um victims are you know clever people you know it, it could be anybody there is a fraud for absolutely everybody and you notice you do notice if there's a change in tone or even you know a change in you know um terms of people so if someone has been calling you love for a while and suddenly they start calling you babe then you start thinking hang on wait what um, and I've even um seen a case where a victim says you sound like a different person what's going on here oh and I'm like yes yes it is a different person. Come on, come on, be suspicious, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and it did it did fizzle out relatively quickly after that because the force became quite aggressive because you know they've been found out and didn't didn't handle it the way, you know, you know, because they were caught on the back foot. You know, mm-hmm. th- these, these are people that like to be in power, they like to manipulate. And when they're questioned, they do, they can get aggressive, which is also good in a way, because that also can snap the victim out of that trance as well. Well, they do. What's, what's with getting aggressive? Like, how is that going to help your cause? I mean,
0: people must, that has to be in the playbook, right? I mean, people must
2: um, respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. What they do do, if they have become aggressive, they then follow that quite quickly with, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in so much in love with you. It's you know, you questioning me has made me feel um, really depressed and anxious. It's made me feel physically sick. So they they turn it back on the victim, much like you'd say you'd see in coercive control, laying the responsibility of the health and well-being psychologically and also physically the health and well-being of the Forster at the door of the victim. So it's their fault that that, that they've reacted so badly that they've reacted with such aggression. And you see that in domestic violence and abuse as well. So then the victim feels so bad and they try and make it up to the Forster, at which point the Forster's like, this is a good time to ask for money. Because then all our problems will be solved. There'll be no more of these tussles and we'll be together forever and ever. Oh, man.
0: OK, what else are you finding in your research? Anything interesting, like certain words,
2: certain uh, patterns or what else are you finding? I'm, I'm finding that the Forsters are really keyed into the fact that they're grooming. They don't use the same same terminology as I do, because, you know, um, as a social scientist, all these kind of fancy terms, but Mm -hmm. they they are grooming, they are manipulating, but they also know that the only person they're grooming and manipulating is that one person they've got at the end of their life on email or WhatsApp or whatever. So they have to be really careful about this, but they have to isolate their victims from their friends, their family, from their source of support. It's not easy. It's a really delicate, interactional dance they have to do here. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at this most recently and really... You know, sharp detail, because they can't say, "Don't listen to your mum, or your daughter, or your right. friends, or your bank." They have to frame them as the baddies, which is very difficult. So what they, what he does, is frame their relationship. I say he, she as well. There are there are plenty of um, female forces too. Uh, just happens in this case. It was it was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they they frame their relationship as sacred, private say things like well do you know do do you tell all details about your relationship to everybody else you know um i i I love our relationship i think it's really private and i think you know i want to get married and have babies and all these things you know i'd like to have something secret and special this is the start of the isolation Mm. and then they'll use the then use these what i've termed visceral responses as well if they've talked to their family about it oh no they're going to get the wrong idea this is making me feel really anxious really depressed again bringing on either psychological or or physiological problems and saying that it's the victim's fault for these problems. Um, But isolation is really important to the fraudster because it's it's the one way that they can make sure that that distorted reality, that grooming really takes place. Um, Something I found very interesting um, most recently as well is where a a fraudster was telling the victim what to do when they were going to transfer money. And the, the forester said, "When you go to the bank, they're going to they're going to be really silly and tell you it's a scam." So the forester even talks about scams directly to the victim. Oh. They're going to tell you it's a scam, um, and you know it's all over the top. It's it's just red tape. It's just you know paperwork. You know these things. You know everyone. I mean, in the UK, I don't know what it's like out there, but everyone likes to complain about red tape and bureaucracy oh my and you gosh. know, <laughs> you know yes. paperwork oh. and, yeah. So then they, they get the victim on board with this and they, they, you know, form their little team. OK, well, how are we going to get it through quickly? The victim will say, so what, what kinds of things should I say? Perfect for the fraudster. who can then script, literally script what the victim has to then say to the fraud team in the bank. Or t- tell them it's for building work, but you don't have a receipt. Um, tell them that you need to transfer this money or um, put it in two payments. So it's underneath underneath a certain limit. So it won't cause any alarm. And these are practical things, but it also sows that seed psychologically in the victim's mind that the good person is the person they're talking to, the love of their life, the fraudster, and the person that they have to try and get round and be suspicious of is the bank who is actually there to protect them. And all these protective mechanisms are reframed as bad things. Yeah, and they're, they're out to get you sort of thing. Wow, okay.
0: So, cause I've talked to some people at, um, at Western Union and different money transfer places and they're taught not to send money to Africa. Like just the answer is no, right? Yeah. Um, in, in, so it's interesting that it still gets through, right? With all the bankers that I've talked to and everything. Now, um, is there a demographic of someone who is more likely to be scammed than,
2: than anyone else on, on these dating sites? It's really tricky. I, I have a couple of answers for you. As, as always, I don't have a, a direct answer on this, but um, the, the statistics say it's more likely to be older people, older demographics. So we're, mm-hmm. we're talking fifties and sixties and, and above. Um, however, these these statistics are only reliant on, on reporting. So actually, that could be more reflective of who is more likely to report being a victim of mm-hmm. fraud and um, current estimates are between five and ten percent of all frauds so not many it's 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 a very very small amount um what I know from my research and from other research out there is that there is a fraud for everyone so if you have things like investment fraud that's more likely to be or or pension fraud that is going to be people with retirement age Mm -hmm. um if you're going to have student loans in the UK you have student loans if it's going to be student loan fraud um, or money mules it's more like the younger demographic, mm-hmm. you know, university age or, or kind of college age um, people, and then everybody else. Everybody is is um, is vulnerable to different types of fraud. I can tell you about the type of fraud that that university um, staff, university lecturers, um, are most likely to be victim of. And you know, you, you think of um, us lot as you know being kind of hot on that kind of thing, but. It's the kind of phishing emails you get where a professor or somebody high up in the union or someone high up in strategic management says, oh, do you um, have a couple of minutes on the email? I'm just about to um, go into a meeting. I just wanted to email you quickly. Um, are you around? Oh, you can email back. oh, my gosh, it's my boss. Yes, I'm around. Um, can you just grab 10 iTunes vouchers because um, we're going to do a presentation um, for, for uh, uh, you know, a research colloquium or something that seems you know, a student um, recognition seminar, these things happen. Can you quickly just pop out and grab those for me? You've got urgency there. It's got to happen soon. They're popping to a meeting. You've got um, um, isolation because you can't talk to anyone about it because you're just about to go and do it. It's not something that you would do really. Um, You've got legitimacy. The email looks like it's coming from this person. The email address says their name in it. It's been manipulated. Unless you look very closely, you wouldn't know. Um, so you would just go ahead and do that. Beautiful, silly question. Your boss as well as so the power relations. So that's something that would really target people in organisations. Um, it happens uh, in churches as well. So the priest or the pastor would then email their assistant for that kind of thing um, as well. Um, there's also, and I find this really, it's the intersection of the data that we put out there mm-hmm. um, unknowingly, and it's it's contextual vulnerability. So, for example, you go to the post office um, or, you know, you know, you, you, you go and post a parcel ready for Christmas. You get a text message a few days later saying, oh, you need to pay some extra postage on your parcel. Click on this link. Like, I don't know, $5, $5.99 or something like that.
0: Uh, and you click on uh...
2: it. And, and you think it must be legitimate because the context is there. It's not very much money. So it's inconsequential anyway. And then either that, Um, delivers a um, virus onto your phone or something else bad happens or sends off some data or nothing happens at all. And then a week later, you get a phone call from someone saying they're from your bank. Did you click on the link last week? It could have been from the post office. Yes, I did. I clicked on a link last week. Okay, don't panic. However, your account has been compromised and now you need to transfer your entire money from your bank account to this safe bank account and you need to do it right now. Now, the person on the end of the line is not your bank, it's the fraudster. The context is there, the urgency, the legitimacy, you're in a panic, you've done something terribly foolish, you've clicked on a link and you know you shouldn't have done, but you have a chance to save yourself. And that's where they get you, that's where they get all of your money. So you can Ooh. I know, I know.
0: That's, that's a that's a good yeah. one. Cause, cause they yeah. say we're more apt to, um- trust texts, then, then man, I hadn't even heard of that one. Okay. Okay. So um, I don't want to keep you here all day. So top two or three tips that people can uh, use to protect themselves. What
2: do you got? Okay. This is, this is also not a straightforward answer as well. You'll be used to it now. <laughs> it's, it's difficult because things always change. It's a bit like when you're at the airport and you have to take your shoes off. Mm-hmm. or you have to take your belt off these are these are in specific relation to situations terrorist situations and it's kind of after the fact and this is also what happens with um, uh, information about frauds and scams it's always in relation to fraud that's just happened that might happen again but it's likely to progress and engage so my advice is much more general um, one of them which will help always no matter what happens is your support network your support network, your friends, your family, your bank, they are not going to be trying to attack you. Okay. If you think perhaps your friends and family have got different interests from you and they don't want you to have a relationship for other reasons, which does happen
1: mm-hmm.
2: to your bank, say that you're unsure and you need to have a bit of help to see if, you know, is this right? Someone's asked for money. The first time someone ever asks for money, you have to be really brutal and curious, even if, you, you think that they're absolutely your husband, that you, they're your best friend and everything else. So keep your friends and family and, and your bank and, and other support network close mm. to you. Um, I would also, on the back of that as well, is give more advice to um, friends and family and the banks, financial industry and the police, because they're the ones that can also help as well. Because giving advice to someone who's been groomed is very difficult because there's a confirmation bias. They'll be looking for reasons why the, the, the interaction they're having is true. And they'll, they'll always find a reason to kind of um, push off um, information that, that could help them. So um, arming, if you will, the people around them is, 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 I think, much more effective. Having said that, giving victims the tools to be able to find out themselves, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of who they're mm. talking to so the reverse image search um, you know e- even using um you know um, search engines typing in even a phrase or two from the interaction that you've had um you know i, I do that when i get emails in i think or, or a phone call i don't know the number i won't you know pick up and i'll and i'll put it in a search engine and realize that 20 other people have said who is this number oh it's such and such it's like, yeah, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. You can you can do that. Just um, type in a phone number into Google yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, and yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah,
2: it's that curiosity and and really empowering people to say to know that if you're checking someone out, if you're it doesn't show that you're not sure about the relationship. It doesn't say that you know you're untrustworthy or anything like that. And if the person you're talking to is genuine, they will not mind at all. They'll be so pleased that you're trying to protect yourself. And yeah. anyone who is not pleased might not be a fraudster, but there's certainly someone you don't want to have a relationship with anyway. Um, so that's probably good to tell them you're checking them out. See, see, see what they do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. So
0: you are just a wealth of knowledge. How can people get a hold of you? Cause I think we hooked up on LinkedIn. So we know that, that you're on LinkedIn. Is, is that the best way? Or is there another way? That, like if people think, Hey, I might, can you check this out? Or maybe, Hey, here's a good story for you or, Here's some research that I want you to <laughs> look at because I think I might be getting scammed
2: here. How can people get a hold of you? Absolutely, and I would encourage people to get in touch, particularly if you have become a victim of, of fraud, um, and you'd like that to be part of my research. You absolutely can. It doesn't mean if you if you email me it doesn't mean that's it. You're in, and then that's it. I, I would send you information about the research and you know consent sure. forms and so on. But you can email me at um, Elizabeth with an S in the middle dot carter at carteranddayconsultancy.com got it all right all right well i hope
0: i hope you hear from some people it only in that uh they're getting uh, smart and 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 wisen up instead of being a victim of fraud so thank you so much for coming on truth lies and cover-ups you're just fantastic thanks for joining me make sure you subscribe to this podcast rate and review it